How good is this? Yeah, it's been a while coming all together, but uh, hey, we survived the season. <laughs> in many places, we didn't just survive. In fact, you know, we thrive during a, a place of restriction. And we thought just a couple of weeks ago, it'd be so good to get all our locations together. We went into COVID uh, with four locations around Auckland. <laughs> we came out of COVID with six. <laughs> and... Uh, more people have been reached, people are giving their hearts to Jesus, lives have been transformed, and I know some people are still feeling the effects of what we've been through, but you know, we've got so much to give God thanks for. We've got so much. He's been faithful, He's been good. Come on, if you can testify that God's been good to you, how about just lift your hands We are right now. And God, we want to give you honor and praise for how you've been with us, enabled us, how you've empowered us. Lord, where there's been gaps, Lord, how you've come in and fulfilled filled every need. And we give you honor and praise in this place. We don't want to take it for granted. Lord, what you're doing. In... Well, I thank you, God, you've positioned your church for the greatest move this nation's ever seen. Lord, I thank you even right now, you're positioning hearts to take hold of their God-given destiny. I thank you right now, you're awakening dreams. Thank you right now, you're bringing hope. Well, hope that things can be different. Hope that things can change. And we thank you, Lord, you're in this place today. And today we give you all the honor, the praise that you're worthy of. In Jesus' name. Come on, can you put your hands together and give God one more big, come on, let's give him a big clap of praise. Amen. We often say that significant ministry flows out of significant relationship, and uh, man, I'm thankful for the, the depth of relationship uh, in this room. This is not an event, this is family coming together, and uh, you know, just through the relationships in this room. I believe, you know, uh, God's using those relationships to bless um, our city. Well, uh, we're in the middle of a, a sermon series called Timing. Timing. How many have good timing? Anybody say they've got good timing? Uh, some of you haven't got good timing because you're not lifting your hand right now. Uh, how many will say they find themselves out of time quite a bit? It's like, I can't find the beat. I'm just struggling to find that. Lift up your hand. Or maybe you need to lift up the hand of the person next to you if you know them really well and say, hey, your timing's a little bit off. Your timing's a little bit off. But we found this series been helpful. In fact, a great uh, testimonies coming back of what, how God's speaking to people during this uh, series. But when, when it comes to timing, sometimes the difference between a good thing and a bad thing is, is timing. Uh, an inheritance is a good thing. How many are hoping for an inheritance? Uh, you may get one from your natural parents. Uh, that would be amazing. That would be wonderful. Uh, but here's the good news. Even if you don't have an inheritance from your natural parents, you're co-heirs with Christ. And, and you're an inheritor with Him. So you have an inheritance from God. That's good news. But the difference between a good thing and a bad thing is, again, timing and an inheritance gained quickly, the Bible says, will not be blessed in the end. So when, you're get, when you get your inheritance, 
uh, determines whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. When, when it comes to sex, oh, yes, we're mentioning that in church. How, how many know sex is God's idea? And, and it's a good thing, but again, the timing of when and where is really important. In marriage, it's awesome. Outside of marriage, it can do a whole lot of damage. And, and timing is really critical to that. You know, being successful, that, that's a good thing. But again, timing in that is really important because as long as God and His purpose doesn't fall down the priority list, if we become successful, we end up serving success rather than God. And so the difference between a good thing and a bad thing is timing. Could it be in a lot of places we're not ready for what God wants to give us? Yeah, it's like God wants to and, and we want it to happen. And it's like, we're waiting on God. God, when, when, when are you going to come through? And God's saying, hey, I'm waiting on you because you're not ready. You know, if anyone's out of time, if anyone's got no rhythm, it's not God. So, so that leaves one other alternative. You know, it's, it's, if you haven't guessed it, it's you. You're the one out of time, and you're the one who hasn't got a rhythm. Turn to your neighbor and say, stay in time. Stay in time. You've got to stay in time with this. And I, and I like you know, what the psalmist says in Psalm 84, because he says, for the Lord, our God is our sun and our shield. How many are thankful for that? You know, last two years, God is our sun, he's our shield, and he gives us grace and glory. He gives us grace and glory, and it says the Lord will withhold no good thing. No good thing. He's not withholding. He will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. Now, many people who know me know I'm not the most patient person in the world. I I try to be, but uh, it's something that I'm working on. Uh, But if you know me, I'm always trying to optimize time. You know, I'm one of those people who pull up to a traffic, a set of traffic lights, and I'm working out which car's going to take off first. Anybody like me, it's just yeah, you're, you're working it out, you don't want to be stuck in the long queue. Or you're at the grocery store, and you're in line, and you're, you're, you're working out which line's going to go the first, and you switch lines. And then the line you switch to ends up being slower than the line that you're in. And I'm going like, man, I'm wasting time. So I like to, to, to optimize time. I like to maximize time. And I get frustrated when there's systems and structures that just have no order to them. And, and it's like, come on, we could, we could do this in a better way here. Um, but, you know, often you find yourself waiting in many things that, and I, I found this meme, which some of you will get, some of you may not get, and it says, I'm waiting on pins and needles. I'm waiting on pins and needles. How many know you get pins and needles from waiting, from staying in the same position? Yeah, you don't need to wait to get pins and needles. You know, just, it, well, in the process of waiting, that's what happens. You know, I, I, what I found out about myself, though, is, is I can wait. There's areas that, yeah, I am patient in. I, I can wait if I understand that there's a purpose to the waiting. Needless waiting, it's like, aha, I'm just waiting time. But if there's a purpose, you know, I, I can wait. And when it comes to patience, what patience is, patience is love for the long haul. 
That's a good definition of patience. It's love for the long haul. Patience is bearing up, bearing up under difficult circumstances without giving up or giving into bitterness. It's, it's, it's bearing up. Some of us have had to do that in recent times. Patience means to work when gratification is delayed. It's to hold on when you're not feeling it. There's times in life where we're not feeling it, where things are it's just like, oh, I'm not feeling it. But it's to hold on during those times. The question I want to ask today is, have you run out of patience? Some parents are going, yeah, yeah, all the time. These kids are trying my patience. They're trying my patience right now. Could, could it be in some places, though, we've lost our patience without realizing it? You know, do you have patience? That's a good question we need to ask ourselves. Do you have patience? Because God definitely does. Jesus does. And today we're going to look at a story in, in Mark chapter 5 as to how this all plays out. Because in Mark chapter 5, Jesus meets a religious leader. He's the leader of the synagogue. His name is Jairus. Jairus. And I've, I've listened to people preach on this sermon many times, and a lot of people say his name differently. So if I don't get the correct pronunciation, my apologies. You know, Americans, Jairus and Jairus. And, uh, his name's Jairus or Jarius, some people say. Uh, but, but, but Jairus was a man of great devotion to God. He was the leader of the synagogue. And in his society, he would have been morally respected. In fact, he would have been a figure of wealth and social prominence. And so in verse 21 of chapter 5, it says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came when he saw Jesus and, get this, and he fell at his feet. Now, now, here's a man with authority and standing, and he falls at the feet of a Galilean carpenter. That's unusual. That, that didn't happen. Something must be going on here. He, he's desperate. So what's his problem? Verse 22, when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Yeah, his girl, the language here is as good as dead. In other words, she's gonna die unless Jesus comes. So you can imagine the excitement when Jairus says, oh, you know, and finds out Jesus is prepared to come. Uh, there's hope for his dying daughter. But, but on the inside, he must be thinking, he must be thinking, are we going to get there on time? Uh, I, I hope we're not too late. So, so they hurry towards Jairus' home, and, and they're followed by a big crowd because they're expecting another miracle. And in fact, verse 24, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there, get this, who'd, who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Wow, another story comes into play. It's interesting. It says she suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. And, and yet, because of their help, she didn't get better, she grew worse. 
So she was a person who wasn't just suffering from her disease, she was actually suffering from the cures. And she had exhausted her finances, she exhausted medical options, and she came to Jesus. And in fact, verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body she was freed from her suffering. That's good news. She was freed from his, if I can just touch him, I'll be healed. And at once, Jesus realized that that power had gone from him. He turned around the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Who touched my clothes? Now, now get this, the crowd was pressing on Jesus. Pressing, there's people touching him everywhere. But, but Jesus said, who touched me? And Jesus recognized is that power had gone from him. In fact, the word for power is dunamis. That's a Greek word, and it's the same word where we get dynamite from. So, so an explosion had gone on from him, and, and there was a draining from him that, that a healing. He knew a healing had taken place. Get this, he lost power so she could gain it. And, and get this, he then, what does he do? He stops the whole entourage. Uh, remember, this is an emergency procession. He's going to Jairus' house. And, and it's like he stops the ambulance. You don't stop ambulances. You make room for them. You make way for them because you know there's an emergency. But he stops the ambulance and he goes, man, I, I need to find out who touched me. In verse 30, if we pick up the story again, it says, at once Jesus, at once Jesus realized the power had gone out of him, he turned around the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciple answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? You're crazy, he said, you're crazy. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. Told him the whole truth. So get this. He stops the crowd. He stops the ambulance. It's like he stops the ambulance for somebody who's going to, somebody who's had a heart attack. He stops it for somebody who's just got a broken bone. You know, you don't do that. And he stops it to find out who touched him. And, and the woman owns up. And, and it says here, she tells him the whole truth. In other words, she tells him the whole story. Uh, one thing I've learned through living in a house of females is when, when, when a woman tells you something, they tell you everything. Uh, everything, all the details. You know, well, it started back here, you know, way back Anybody know what I'm talking about there? It's not like, can we just get to the bullet points? Can we get to the summary of what happened this? You know, I, I want you to picture this. She tells him the whole story. I want you to imagine Jairus in this moment. Just imagine Jairus in this moment. This woman's already healed, but now she's giving the whole story. A woman with a chronic condition is getting the attention instead of this dying little girl. Jesus stops to talk to a woman who's already been healed. That, this makes no sense. It, it's irrational. If these two women, if this girl and this woman were an ED in an emergency department, who would get treated first? Yeah, it would be malpractice to treat the woman first. Well, you've got a dying little girl over here. 
And, and Jairus must be thinking, what are you doing? Don't you understand the situation? We need to hurry. We need to hurry, otherwise it'll be too late. But in the story, Jesus wouldn't be hurried. He's standing there talking to the woman. And then what happens? What Jairus feared happens. While Jesus was still speaking, same came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, your daughter is dead. And they said, why, why bother the teacher anymore? Hey, can you imagine how Jairus feels at that moment? Why did I even come to Jesus? Yeah, I came. He delayed. My daughter's dead. I could have spent that time by her side. But I missed her final moments. Yeah, I came to you, but you couldn't even help in the end. And Jesus looks calmly at Jairus, looks calmly at Jairus, because he heard what was being said. It says, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, listen to this, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. Come on, where you feel like your time is out of whack, where you feel like God's missed his moments. God wants to look you in the eyes today. And he says, come on, don't be afraid, just believe. Come on, I want some people to know this. I want you, some people to hear this today. And come on, I want you to right now even to turn to your neighbor and say, don't be afraid. Come on, everybody say this, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. Because what's Jesus doing? In essence, he's saying, Jairus, I got you. I got you. Trust me. Trust me. Just be patient. There's, there's no need to hurry. See, one thing I found is everyone has a different perspective on time. Everybody has a different perspective on Everybody has a different sense of time. Uh, for some people, on time is 15 minutes early. Uh, that's on time. You're not on time unless you're early. For other people, on time is without a minute to spare, without a second to spare. You know, it's right on the money. For other people, you know, on time is just a guideline. <laughs> it's, it's round about that time, you know, in the next 15 minutes, hour or so, that's when we're expecting you. It's a guideline. How, how many know people in one of those three places? It's like, how many people would say on time is 15 minutes early? Uh, yeah, we've got some, how many people say on time is right on time? Yeah, how many would say uh, on time is a guideline? It's a guideline, round, round about. You know, we come from different cultures. We come from different places. Uh, places but where this gets displayed the, the most, yeah, we could say church, but, but really big, it's really big around weddings. Because what's the right time to arrive? How many got married at Faces Dilemma? It's like, I need to tell them, you know, when, when I'm arriving, because if I don't tell them the exact time, they'll think it's not the time. The wedding's at 2.30, but they think 2.30 is 3 o'clock. How many got some family members like that? And, and, and it becomes really awkward, you know, when it's 2.30, you 2.30 is advertised at 2.30 and no one's at the church. You know, you know what's really awkward? Is when the bride arrives before the groom. Uh, that's really, really awkward. Or you know what's really awkward as well? Is when guests are arriving, when the bride is, they're, they're walking down the aisle at the same time the bride is. You know, the, oh, sorry, excuse me, excuse me. 
<laughs> it's like, that's all clear. Or there's been times where family members have arrived when the ceremony's finished. <laughs> you know, the, in fact, they miss the whole ceremony. But how many know the reception's the best? No. <laughs> See, it's all about timing, and we have different perspectives on timing, and timing is relative. And God's sense of timing can confound ours, no matter what culture we come from. His grace never operates on our schedule. And Jesus looks at Jairus and says, trust me, be patient. My love and grace are compatible with what's going on in your life. And, and get this, you need to get this this morning. It's not, I will, be, I will not be hurried even though I love you. It's not, it's not I won't be hurried even though I, even though I love you. It's, I will not be hurried because I love you. I, I, I know what I'm doing here. And if you try to impose your schedule and your timing in on me, you'll struggle to feel loved by me. How many people have ever opposed their timing, their schedule on God? God, you need to move now. I said now. Right now, not later, now. If you don't move now, you don't love me. I want to say, hey, hold on. Change is coming. Come on, hold on. You don't need to worry about a thing. Come on, hold on. Have you ever noticed in our lives, Jesus won't be hurried? And we can feel like Jairus, impatient. We can feel led down. And we even can feel in some places less important as God, you're dealing with everybody else's problem. It's like you don't have time for mine. And God moving, God moving over here, that, that's irrational, that's unfair. Could it be that there's actually more to the story than we realize? Could it be because of the delay Jairus and this woman go away with more than what they asked for. Wow. See, when we come to Jesus, we always go away with more. Yeah, that's true. Uh, here's the thing. Jesus, get this, Jesus finds himself in the middle of the now and the next. Wow. Uh, we know in the story, uh, this woman has had an issue for 12 years. For 12 years. She's been to medical consultants. She's not better, she's worse. The girl was 12 years old. The young girl was 12 years. 12 means order. And in both of these situations, things were out of order. I, I want to say, the reason why the next generation is dying is because the now generation is bleeding. See, we can't move on to the next until we deal with the now. Some of us are going, God, I'm so focused on the next, but God's saying, no, I want to do something now. Now, and Jesus is always pursuing the next, but the key to unlocking the next is actually for God to deal with the now, to deal with the today. See, some of you right now, you're anxious about tomorrow. That's next. Some of you are right now in your tomorrow, living in, worried about what you're going to do to work, worried about what's coming up, worried about what you're going to do next school holidays. And it's all about the next, but God's saying, hey, I want your prison now, because what I do now is the key to unlocking your next. Uh, John Maxwell wrote a book called Today Matters. Today Matters, and in this book, he says, so often we exaggerate yesterday. 
we exaggerate the power of yesterday. In Christ, yesterday has no power over us. Come on, His mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. We exaggerate yesterday, and what we do is we overestimate tomorrow, which means we underestimate today. Today is the most important day you'll ever experience. Today, now, here. That, that's it. You want to live in freedom to, tomorrow? Well, it's about what you're doing today. Uh, the only reason Jesus stopped was, was he had to deal with a, a today, a now generation. And a lot of people can have a heart for the next generation, but here's the deal. Unless you get healed, unless you teach Jesus, you'll keep bleeding on the next generation, and the next generation will die. But if you find freedom, come on, that gives God permission to raise up another generation. Come on, we're a multi-generational church. If you believe that, give God a big clap of praise. That's why I want to say, for those who have been around for some time, you can't just sit in church and keep bleeding. You've got to deal with your issues, and today is the day. Come on, don't let another day go past where you hang on to the hurt, the disappointment, the frustration of yesterday. Yes, things went on, but you've got to bring God into the middle of it. And if a generation would say, God, I've got to push through the crowd and I've just got to touch Jesus, I've got to bring Jesus into this situation, God would release His healing power and His healing power would flow and it would release something into the next generation. See, a lot of us are getting over-anxious about tomorrow. And a lot of us are getting condemned about yesterday. That we must now, mentally, some of us are somewhere else. We're already at lunch. <laughs> We're already somewhere else. But be here now. There's, there's a now moment. And we need to go to the climax of the story because the plot thickens. It thickens. See, even though the girl's dead, Jesus says, I'm coming anyway. But it says in verse 37, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. That, That would be happening. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? Funny thing to say when somebody's just passed away. It's natural. The child is not dead, he says, but asleep. And they laughed at him. Of course they laughed when he said she's asleep. They know a dead child when they see one. But verse 40, it says, after he put them all all out, he took the the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went into where the child was. He took her by the hand. He took her by the hand and said, Talitha Kuma, which means little girl, I say, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. As you would be. You'd be astonished. Yeah, here's the thing. Jairus thought he was coming for a cure for a fever. Not a resurrection. Here's the thing. When we go to Jesus, we end up with far more than we expected. But get this also, is when you go to Jesus, you end up giving far more than you expect. Uh, Watch this. I want you to watch this right now. As Jairus came thinking 
he, he would have to trust Jesus just enough get to, for him to get home in time. But Jesus actually demanded more from him. After the news came that she was dead because of malpractice from the great physician, Jesus logs into Jairus' eyes and says, what does he say? He says, trust me. Don't be afraid, trust me. I was just trusting that you could get home in time. What happens when things get worse before they get better? Because that happens in life quite a bit. Sometimes I'm believing for an answer and things, well, go the other way. What are you doing, God? What are you up to? I, I just don't understand. What happens? See, Jairus had to trust him more than he anticipated. Come on, I want you to watch this also. Take the sick woman. She came to Jesus for healing. You know, she wanted to touch and run. She wanted a hit and run experience. It's like, I just touch and then I'll run. I'm off. I'm better now and I'm out of here. You know, that's how many of us approach church on a Sunday. It's just a hit and run experience. I'll get what I need and then I'm out. You know, I tap and go. I just, you know, it's just like, here, yeah, you know, touch, yeah, that's, that's what we do. I'm better. I'm out of here. But Jesus wouldn't have it. And he actually forces her to go public. That was dangerous for her. Because she'd been dealing with a blood flow that made her ceremonially unclean. That's big in that day. That's big for her to be in a crowd. That's huge. She wasn't meant to be. That's a no-no. But that was even bigger that she touched the rabbi when she was ceremonially unclean. And for Jesus to ask to identify herself, man, that would be frightening. She would be freaking out. Why did Jesus insist she go public? Yeah, she needed it. Why? I thought she was already healed just through touching the She didn't need to go public. She needed it. Why? Because she had a superstitious understanding of God's power. She thought a touch of his garments could heal her. She, that's where her faith was. But Jesus made her identify herself so he could say, oh, oh no, 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 no. It wasn't the garment. It wasn't the touch. It was your faith. It was your faith. See, some of us right now, we have faith in the activity we do rather than faith in the person. And, 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 and that faith, guess what? That same faith that she had to get well was the faith that she needed to live a life in a life-transforming relationship for all eternity. And he's saying, hey, I don't want to just send you away healed. I, I want to enter into a relationship with you. And the faith that you use to touch my garment is the faith that you're going to need for the rest of your life. That's the faith that you're going to need every day. See, there's a difference between a superstitious person who gets bodily healed. Their body gets healed. And there's a difference between that and a life-transformed follower of Jesus for all eternity. If you come to Jesus... He might just ask you for more than you plan to originally give. But he can give you more than you could dare ask or think. We know the end. We know the end of the story. The woman gets healed. The girl gets raised from the dead. We know the end. So, so we know the end. We know that the, the woman gets healed and the girl gets raised from the dead. Uh, but, but in the middle, 
I don't know about you, but I've got some questions. I don't want to say there's plenty of people in this room who've got the same questions. I don't understand why God's not coming through. I, I thought by now, I thought by now, I don't know why he's delaying. Man, and, and things are getting worse as I wait. Believe me, I know right now how you feel. And I want to be sensitive in the way that I put this right now. But when I look at the delays in my life, and there's been plenty, there's pain attached to it. But I found that pain is sometimes rooted in arrogance. I, I complain to Jesus, okay, you're the eternal son of God, creator of the universe, know the stars by name. But why would you know better than I do about how my life should be going? What, you know, I know my life. I know me. I, I know when. You know, you know, come on, God. You know, in a lot of places, we've got to stop trying to be God and let God be God. I like how Jacques Elo, if that's how you say his name, put it. It says, we're not God. It says, we're not God. But we have such delusions or grandeur that our self-righteousness and arrogance sometimes has to be knocked out of our hearts by God's delays. It's actually by the delays God's actually forming and shaping us. Right now, is God delaying something in your life? Are you ready to give up? Are you trying to hurry Jesus? Come on, are you like me, sometimes impatient and you're waiting? I want to say now, now, now. I believe God's like, Jesus looking us in the eyes and says, don't be afraid. Trust. Trust. Remember what Jesus does by the bedside. By the bedside. He sits down and he takes the girl by the hand and he says these words. He says, Talitha, Talitha, which means little girl. But it means more than that. It's actually a pet name, a name of endearment. It could be like, honey, honey. And he says, kum, which means arise, means get, a get up. And, and he says, in essence, what he's saying is, just gently, takes her by the hand and says, honey, it's time to get up. Honey, it's time to get up. Jesus was mocked for saying she was sleeping. Jesus said, if I've got you by the hand, Death is nothing but sleep. Come on, if I've got you by the hand, if I've got you by the hand, come on, you can be confident today. Jesus holds us by the hand and leads us through our darkest moments when we don't understand. And if our hand's in His hand, He's saying, hey, honey. See, when life feels like it's given up on you, He says, honey, it's time to get up. Come on, I want to say, let him take you by the hand today. Stop trying to figure it out by yourself. Do it all by yourself. Stop trying to even work out how tomorrow's going to look and say, God, I'm going to trust you now. I'm going to trust you now. Let him do everything that he wants to do. Because you'll go more, away with more than you can imagine. Yes, you're going to have to give him more than what you originally expected. You're going to have to give him your trust. 
But you've got to know this. He loves you completely. And He knows what you He knows what He's doing. He says, I got you. That situation at work, that stuff that's going on at home, those things in your finances, in your health, in your body. God says, I've got you today. It may or may not happen in an instant, but be patient. Because soon will be the time. Wake up. Honey, boy, I got you. I got you. Just like, you know, when you gently wake up a kid, some people like to not do that gently because they love to see the reactions of somebody waking up, disorientated. But Jesus doesn't do that. My brothers used to do that to me all the time. If they were more like Jesus, they would have come in gently and just said, hey boy, it's time to get up. But no, they were, ah! And then they'll laugh at me because I was disorientated and I'd say crazy things. But Jesus would come in, comes into our well, and he whispers in our hair, it's time to get up. You don't need to live in that place any longer. You don't, get up. Get up. Get up now. I'll work on it tomorrow. No, now. Call shout right now because I believe there's so many now moments that we're not going to miss. Some of us have been in moments, but we missed out now. And we haven't responded in the moment, and we think, oh, I'll leave it to another time, but then we never get around to it. And we never get around to it. And I must get around to it. And then we just start living in the dysfunction that we now accept it as being part of us. And we, we even can hear it in our language because in our language, oh, you know, be careful. Don't give Jesus everything. And we don't trust Him like we should because of what we've experienced. But God's saying, now is the time. Come on, now is the time. Today. Everyone say today. Today is the day of salvation. Come on, today is a day of salvation. Today is a day of breakthrough.